So now we get the exciting moment of inviting Mr. Michael Trainer to come up onto the stage. Come up, Michael. Matt, would you say a prayer for Michael? And I'll give you I'd this, love Michael. To. Dear Lord, thank you for Michael. Thank you for bringing him here this morning. Uh, thank you for his preparation. Uh, may you speak through him now, and you, may you give us all open ears and open hearts to hear what you have to say through him this morning. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, good morning, church. Nice to see you all today. Uh, as you may have heard, my name is Michael, uh, and I also am on team here at St. Paul Shadwell. Uh, I'm really excited to get to share with you this morning uh, from the scripture. But before we do... It might make sense to read it. My wonderful wife is going to come up on stage. Uh, woo! Natasha is going to read uh, for us from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, if you're reading along. I do encourage you, I will give this mic in a second, don't worry. I do encourage you to get your phones or actual paper Bibles ready today, because we're going to do a little bit of moving around Scripture. Uh, but also, I will read it for you at various times. So that's Matthew 16, 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the, king, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, uh, you may or may not know that uh, on the team here, I'm known as a bit of, uh, well, maybe a big bit of a Bible nerd. Uh, I like to go in detail, I like to do my research, and I feel that this scripture is definitely a 12-week scripture. Like, you could literally preach on this one passage for weeks and weeks. And there are hundreds of years of debate over various parts of it. And I would love to have kept you here until the start of the 6 p.m. service, just unpacking this all day. But I thought that might be a little bit cruel. So I've had to prayerfully consider uh, what to speak about today. And I'm really excited what God has challenged me with and given me to share. But all that is to say, I think I was sitting on Friday afternoon and I scrapped at least two-thirds of what I prepared. So if there's any parts of the scripture that I don't touch on today that you're just like, yeah, but what about this? Feel free to come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to chat with you through some things. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, this question in verse 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And also on the answer given in verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then to finalize, we'll also look at the answer that Peter gives. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, which is revealed to Peter by God. And we're going to look at these things in a, in a interesting, through an interesting lens. So I've got three points you'll be happy to hear, uh, keeping it traditional. Number one, Jesus isn't just a prophet revealing God. He is God revealed. 
Number two, Jesus didn't just preach repentance. He is the gateway to forgiveness. And number three, Jesus wasn't the herald of an expected Messiah. He is the true Messiah. So I'm going to really focus in on this one verse, uh, 14, where uh, the, the disciples say who other people are saying that Jesus might be and, and kind of take it to have a single takeaway from each one of those. So number one, Jesus isn't just a prophet revealing God. He is God revealed. Why do people say when Jesus asked them, who do people say I am, that he might be a prophet? Well, the Israelites, God's chosen people, they were expecting new prophets all the time. Okay, they were expectant. In fact, the Old Testament law, the Torah, the first five books, even have laws regarding how the Israelite people should receive a new prophet. That's how expected new prophets were all the time. If you are following along in your, in your Bibles, you can look at Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 18. It says this, The Lord your God, and this is Moses uh, speaking, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. So the Israelites are expecting prophets, and they're looking to who will be the next prophet. So it's not surprising when Jesus arrives on the scene and he begins teaching and healing and gathering disciples around him that some believe that he's a prophet. And Jesus was teaching many of the things that the prophets before him taught. He was preaching repentance from sin, turning back to God. He was, he was teaching judgment and hope. And that's really things that would be very familiar. I really went nerdy with my preparation, and I nearly scrapped this entire thing, but I did so much research that I just had to share with you. Uh, I think you know that Jesus would have known the Scriptures pretty well, but I've, I got a list of all the direct quotes that Jesus quotes from Scripture and all the direct references, and I'm not going to go through them, but did you know that Jesus directly quotes Scriptures from Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Isaiah, Hosea, and Malachi? and references other things that happen in Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Daniel, and Jonah. Jesus knew his scriptures, and he was quoting and saying and using the words of the prophets. So, of course, people thought, hey, maybe this guy's a prophet. In fact, and this is one extra nerdy fact, of the 1,800 verses which, uh, in, the, in the New Testament, which are Jesus' dialogue, 180 of them are direct quotes or allusions to previous scriptures in the Old Testament. So 10% of everything that's recorded that Jesus says that we know about is quotations from scripture. If only 10% of everything I said was a quotation from scripture. I'd have, would I have more friends or fewer friends? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure, it's hard to say. So there are lots of parallels. And if you're taking notes, because I know you're all furiously writing away, um, I don't have time to unpack this, but look at Isaiah 5. This is a nugget for homework. Isaiah 5, verses 1 to 7. And look at some of the parallels between the imagery and, and the, the, um, the metaphors used in Isaiah and Jesus' parables. 
There are so many parallels. So it's not unsurprising that people thought Jesus was a, spoke, was a prophet. And as we saw in Deuteronomy 18, the prophet's job was to be the mouthpiece of God. So in a sense, Jesus was a prophet, right? He spoke for God because he was God. But the point number one is that Jesus isn't just a prophet revealing God. He is God revealed. So a brain break now. I love learning. Does anyone here love learning? Yeah, one person. I know, I saw some hands. That was good. I'll happily learn like anything about anything. I will watch all kinds of nonsense on YouTube if it's educational or I can pretend it is. I'll just learn for anything from like the fastest way to tie your shoelaces to like a five-hour documentary about the history of some war that happened sometime. I'm very interested in things and learning. And that's part of the joy and the challenge of getting to share with you why I love talking uh, to you about Jesus. Because I get to be in the learning exchange about the thing that I care most about in the whole world, that I think is the most important thing in the whole world. But then I also learn like a thousand extra things that I don't get to share with you. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could say this, but there's just not time. But that's okay. Because what I do have time for, apparently, for no real reason, is to teach you how to make a can of juice unfizzy. So here we go. Now, this is either going to be a great visual example of something to do with God. <laughs> so wise. For those listening on the podcast, my wife just uh, moved out of the front row. So this is either going to be a total rubbish nonsense bust, and, uh, and then we'll just pretend it didn't happen, but you'll be entertained. Or it's going to be awesome, right? But one way or the other, we're going to open two cans of juice. Can everyone see? Juice. What do you say? Juice, fizzy juice, soda. Let's scan the room. Pop, soda, Coke. Is everything Coke or just Coke Coke? Because it's in America. Is it in, the, in Texas? All soda is Coke. And you say, get me a Coke, and, and then you, they're like, what kind of Coke do you want? I want a Fanta. That's what I've heard anyway. That's what I've heard. Don't quote me on that one. So if I was to, so let's have a nice audiovisual experience. See, when you start to fizz up a drink, you hear it. And then when you no longer hear it fizzing anymore, that's it, as fizzy as it can be. Let's just move this one out. So how do you unfizz a can? What's tap the top? Thanks. Yeah, I'll give you your money later. That's what everyone says. You untap the, you tap the top like this. I should have bought some wet wipes, eh? Tap, tap, tap. Can you see that? <laughs> Let's open it. Uh, that wasn't as uh, dramatic as I wanted it to be, but it was uh, not super, excuse me, it was not super um, explosive either, but it, it really didn't work, I'd say. So, let me show you. Oh, where's the stand? Who's got a microphone stand? Here it is. I, need, I forgot I needed two hands at some point. So this is the one that used to work when I was a youth pastor. Can you tell I used to be a youth pastor? Let me just bring a can of Coke up on the stage. You've got time for this, right? So, fizz, fizz, fizz. And what happens is... There's lots of microscopic imperfections on the side of the can. Lots of little holes that you can't see with, your, with the naked eye. And when you fizz it up, the bubbles all get stuck to the side of the can. And they take up more room inside the can, which is why it gets harder when you fizz it. And then when you open it, uh, it, it, as we saw, dramatically. So what you're meant to do, 
is you're meant to gently tap the sides of the can like this. Just work your way around. I know this is a bit longer. This is going to not work, isn't it? If, like, because you're here and you're amazing, like, if it doesn't work, just, like, be like, wow. That worked. That's probably enough, because if I did it more, you'd just be like, well, it, it, got, it, it just happened to get unfizzy because you took so long. So let's see. Yeah, 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 thank you. Now, as the person who was actually holding it, it did fizz less, trust me. There was still a little bit of fizz potentially, I'll admit. Refreshing. Okay, what a load of nonsense, eh? Now, let's see if I can remember the point of that. That'll be, the, that'll be the real test. I love learning things. That's where we were. Get rid of that. I love learning things, and I love teaching things, and you love learning things too, like how to unfizz a can of juice. And I can tell you love learning things, because on a Sunday morning, you're sitting in church listening to someone explain stuff. And even if you don't learn, love learning things, you're at least open to the idea. Okay, because you're here, listening to me, and watching me run around and open cans of drink. And now you know how to do the thing I taught you. For years, all I really saw Jesus as was a good teacher. I grew up in church, and I was really fortunate to go to a very uh, passionate about God's word church. Lots of good teaching, lots of deep teaching. And we had Sunday school teachers who were absolutely dedicated to their lessons like we do here. Shout out to Diane Watson. She would put in hours of voluntary work each week to help us to be engaged with the Bible. And I developed a love about learning about God and learning about the Bible. But that was about it. It wasn't the fault of the church. It was just the way my brain works. I love to learn. And I was keeping Jesus as only the prophet as only the teacher. He was just head knowledge. And it took for me to be completely at my lowest ebb, to be hit rock bottom emotionally, mentally, with my mental health, that it finally clicked for me. I had just come back. I, I'd moved back to where I, was, where I grew up after being at university. I'd had some real serious mental health challenges. And the church had completely changed there was a whole load of new people I'd never seen before, and they just cared for me and looked after me and asked after me and sent me letters and messages, and I was like, what is going on? These people don't even know me. But they had been transformed by Jesus. They knew that Jesus was more than just a teacher, but I'd never really clicked that. So that was when my real transformation in every area of my life that, uh, became possible. Because Jesus isn't just a prophet who reveals God. He is God revealed and has the power to transform us. So that's point number one. And we need to remember to expect all and allow Jesus to be all that he is. Number two, Jesus didn't just preach repentance. He is the gateway to freedom. Jesus didn't just preach repentance. He's the gateway to freedom and to forgiveness. 
why do people say that John, the Jesus, sorry, might be John the Baptist? I mean, weren't they contemporaries of one another? Like, he, I'm pretty sure I remember the narrative, the uh, nativity story. Well, there's loads of reasons, again, and this is such a, 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 a rich section of Scripture. There's those reasons that they might have thought that. Um, we look at Mark 6, if you're following along. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you can, if you're writing notes, make a note to read all of Mark 6 later. But from verses 14 and 16, it says this, King Herod heard about this, and that this he heard about was that Jesus was teaching, sending out the 12 disciples who were preaching repentance and healing people. So King G Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others, he is a prophet, which we already looked at, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Now, we can see even in this scripture that some are saying Jesus was John the Baptist because of the miraculous powers that he was showing. But it's actually Herod's reaction that I'm interested in unpicking for this second point. Just a very quick, brief recap, because I don't like to assume knowledge about what happened to John the Baptist. I've bullet-pointed it, so I'm going to read it. So Herod married his brother's wife, Herodias. His brother Philip, he, he had a wife, and they got married. And John the Baptist told Herod that it wasn't lawful. So Herodias was pretty cross and really wanted John the Baptist to be killed. But Herod wanted to protect John the Baptist. He put him in prison but refused to kill him, even though Herodias, his new wife, wanted him dead. Herod has a big feast for his birthday, big old party, and Herodias' daughter, Salome, does an incredible dance, blows Herod's mind. And he promises Salome anything up to half his kingdom. That's a pretty big promise. So Salome asks her mother, Herodias, what she should ask for. And Herodias tells her to ask for the head of John the Baptist. So that is how John the Baptist is killed. And it's fairly clear from this section of Mark 6 that Herod regretted the death of John the Baptist. Um, in verse 20, for example, it says, Because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man, when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. So he respected John. He saw that he was a holy and righteous man. And then in verse 26, again, of Mark 6, it says that Herod was greatly distressed at having his hand forced in killing him. So what's the application here? Why am I looking at Herod's reaction, thinking that Jesus is John the Baptist? I just think it's interesting. It feels like Jesus is a kind of mirror to Herod that reflects the wrong things that he's done. It reflects back to him, back to him some of the evil that he did. Herod sees the similarities between Jesus and John the Baptist, that they're holy and righteous, that they have disciples that they're following, and it inspires guilt in Herod. It convicts him, and perhaps some fear as well. And the same thing can happen to you and me. When we see Jesus, when we, when we learn more about Jesus, our response can be guilt because of the sin and the wrong things that we do in our lives. And Jesus did teach repentance and does teach repentance, the turning away from our sins and asking for forgiveness. But it's a repentance which leads to salvation, not guilt or fear. 
Thanks to Jesus dying on the cross and being raised on the third day. Thanks to Jesus being the gate through which all people can become children of God. Thanks to Jesus, repentance leads to salvation. There's an amazing passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I think it's verse 10, where the whole passage, Paul uh, talks about his joy in the Corinthian church's repentance. He's so joyful that the church is repentant. And he says this, I'll read it. Godly sorrow, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Herod's sorrow, his regret at killing John the Baptist, that's going to lead to death because it doesn't lead to repentance. But our sins, the things that we do wrong, the things that separate us from God, they lead us to repentance, which leads us to salvation. And that's when we leave the guilt and the shame away. Is Jesus a mirror for me, reflecting back to me my shortcomings and all the things I do wrong? Is Jesus like a millstone around my neck that I just carry around because I, I just feel like not good enough? It sh he shouldn't be, and he's not. When we repent of our sins, we turn away from them, and that leads to our salvation. It takes the sorrow and it takes the regret. Jesus is not a reminder of our shortcomings. He's a reminder that we're brothers and sisters with Christ. Jesus didn't just preach repentance. Jesus was the gateway to forgiveness and to freedom. Brain break for a second. If you're, well, if you're able to, uh, and if you have pockets on the front of your trousers, I mean, this is much more useful. Would you stand for me? Okay, I just need this mic stand again, don't I? I shouldn't put things away. As you can tell, should I make a joke about being a youth pastor again? All right. So, this is what I want you to do. I've not done this since I was a kid, so hopefully it still works. I mean, physics is still the same, right? You might have done this when you were young. It's really fun. You put your hands in your pockets, or if you'd like, you can just put your thumbs in your pockets. And you stand up tall, okay, chest up, tummy tight. All right, can you tell I'm a, a, a gym instructor? Put your head up, and you're just going to gently at first pull your arms out to the sides. Remember this now? Does this seem familiar? Okay, and keep pulling your arms out to the sides. And if you're able and feel capable, you can pull harder and harder. Don't rip your trousers, though. That would just be embarrassing. Okay, and keep pulling apart as hard as you can now without breaking your trousers. And keep doing it for 10 more seconds. 10, 9, keep pushing even harder. 7, keep going. 6, 5, how much longer left to preach? 4, 3, 2, one, and gently let go. Oh, who's got the light arms? You get that? Mine feel really light. I must have really pulled my arms apart. So what happens is your muscles are firing and firing and firing. Then when you take your hands out of your pocket, you just get that, that light feeling. Now, if it didn't work for you, don't worry. Just need to pull your arms apart a little bit harder next time, okay? And, you know, if you really can't get it to work, see me after, after the service. You can sit down. Thank you. Thank you for humoring me. Way more of you did that than I thought you would, so that was great. Do you have that freedom, that lightness, when you give your sins, your shortcomings, your failures to God? Do you feel that sense of uh, a burden being lifted? 
our relationship with God is not about feel. We know the truth is that when we repent of our sins, we are forgiven and free when we turn to God. It's not about feel. We don't need to feel the lightness. But if we feel the guilt, we need to do some work in prayer and with others. And if you want to do that work at SPS, you're very welcome to. We want to journey with you through that. There will be prayer ministry after the service, as always. But also, you know, we want to journey with you to help you to keep hold and take hold of that freedom that God calls us into. Jesus, oh, not Jesus, Paul writes in Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not let yourself be burdened again by yoke of slavery. There is freedom available to us, a lightness from sin and from guilt. So, good job. Third and final point. So that was just to remind you. We've had number one, Jesus isn't just a prophet revealing God. He is God revealed. He didn't just preach repentance. He's a gateway to forgiveness. And our final point, he wasn't the herald of an expected Messiah. He was and is the true Messiah. So let's look at the last person that Jesus is mistaken for Elijah and why Jesus might have been mistaken for Elijah. Well, as we discussed previously, you know, the Israelite people were expecting prophets. They were looking, they were on the lookout for prophets. And they would look for similarities between the teaching of people who were just teaching in the synagogues and whatnot and the teaching of the prophets. And very briefly, just because I think it's interesting and quite short, if we think of some of the, the stories around Elijah, uh, think of the, one of the more well-known ones, the widow of Zarephath, which is found in 1 Kings 17, if you're taking notes. You know, Elijah, there's a drought across the whole land. People are starving. There's famine. And Elijah is very hungry. He goes to the widow's house who, you know, just meets. And um, he asks her to make him bread, uh, a loaf with the oil and the flour that she has. She says, this is the last I have. We were going to eat it and we were going to die. And Elijah says, it's not going to run out until rain comes again on the land. And it doesn't. And it's incredible. And then later on in that same passage in chapter 17, the widow's son dies. And Jesus cries out to God and says, why has this happened? And he cries out to God, please let this, uh, the, son, the widow's son be, be brought back to life. And it says that he, he was. He was raised to life. Life came back to his body. Are there any parallels here between the things Jesus did in Scripture and Elijah? It's understandable that people saw parallels at the time. But the main point I want to focus on with Elijah is actually his role as a messenger. Okay, we see a lot in the Bible about Elijah or an archetype of Elijah coming back to make way for the Messiah. Okay, there's a, in the book of Malachi, I'm not going to read these whole uh, scriptures out, but I'll touch on them. Malachi 3.1 says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then Malachi 4 says, this is verse 5, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. People of Israel are expecting Elijah to return. Could it be Jesus? He has similar teaching. We know that Elijah is going to come before the Messiah comes. No. Because in Matthew 11, Jesus himself quotes Malachi 3.1, the thing I just said, to say that actually Elijah was John the Baptist. Okay. Matthew 11, 9 to 14 says, what did you go out to see? A prophet? 
Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Malachi 3.1, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And it goes on to say in verse 14, and if you are willing to accept it, this is Jesus' words, he is the Elijah who was to come. We also see in Luke 1 verse 17 that Luke says that John was also the Elijah that was to come. Jesus was not the Elijah. Jesus was not the messenger that was sent to make a way. He is and was the message. He was not to make a way for the Messiah. He was the Messiah and is the Messiah. The last thing I want to do, I know I've gone on a wee bit, but I'm having so much fun and I know you are too. Um, it's just to look briefly at what the first century Jews would have expected of a Messiah and what we can learn from that. And this really is as we come to finish. So the word Messiah, you may know, means anointed one. And Messiah had several Old Testament uses in the Old Testament. It was used to refer to priests and to kings because they were anointed. And it was also used to refer to prophets, which we've looked at today. And by the late Old Testament period, though, uh, oh, well, sorry, by Jesus' time, it really had, had come to be uh, an analog for expecting a king like David, a righteous king who would deliver Israel. In the Old Testament times, kind of between the uh, New and Old Testament, uh, the hope for this king became even more focused on a liberating king because of all the political uh, challenges um, with Roman occupation. One thing that is interesting to remember, you may not know, is that during the New Testament, lots of people said they were a Messiah. Sometimes people ask me when they're talking about the Bible, because I talk about the Bible a fair bit, like, why did Jesus tell people, and even in this scripture we looked at, don't tell people I'm the Messiah. It was such a loaded word. You know, even in the Bible, in Acts chapter 5 and 21, references available, we hear about three messiahs that were contemporary with Jesus. There's a famous Jewish historian called Josephus who talks about, I think, eight or nine other um, political messiahs who are claiming to be uh, either messiahs themselves or working on behalf of a messiah at the time of Jesus. So whatever, and whenever one of these self-proclaimed messiahs gathered a following, they would usually revolt against the Roman occupation. They would usually be crushed. And that is the, the baggage that the term Messiah carries at Jesus' time. And that's what people are expecting. That's, they're expecting an, an Elijah to come and pave the way and a Messiah to come that, that does these things. But Jesus wasn't the messenger. He wasn't Elijah reborn, come to pave the way for the Messiah. He is and was the message. He is and was the Messiah. And the kind of Messiah that he was was not the kind that they expected. Isaiah 53 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is genuinely the conclusion there. Don't worry. If the band wants to come back up, you're very welcome to. So you might be thinking and sitting there thinking, did Michael just make three points that were all the same? And did he even make any points? I'm a bit lost. But let me just summarize. I suppose every point did end with Jesus is the Messiah. 
And I came to the same conclusion that Peter did in verse 16. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. But like Peter, and this is an important thing, it was revealed to me by God. It was a divine revelation. If not for God revealing himself to me, I might have spent the rest of my life thinking that Jesus was just a wise guy who I could learn to live well from. If it wasn't for people who followed God and going to a church that preached well, I wouldn't have spent my rest of my life asking for forgiveness, but then still holding on to the guilt and holding on to the shame of my sin. Because that's the kind of, per I'm a very guilt person. And I'm still on my journey, and I'll spend my whole life understanding, unpacking who this Messiah is and what it means for me. But what I know is I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to bring people along with me on that journey and to unpack it with them. And there we go. So Jesus isn't just a prophet revealing God. He is God revealed. Jesus didn't just preach repentance. He is the gateway to forgiveness. Jesus wasn't the herald of an expected Messiah. He is the true Messiah. And I just pray together. Lord, just thank you. Thank you that we can be here this morning, that we can unpack your word, even uh, dense passages of scripture. We can have a bit of fun, but ultimately we can, uh, we can know that you are with us, that you sent your son for us, that you love us, and that you long for us to know you more. Father, I pray that I and all people here would allow Jesus to be Lord that they wouldn't put Jesus in a box, that I wouldn't put Jesus in a box, keeping him as just a teacher or someone that reflects back to me the things I've done wrong, but that we would allow God, allow Jesus to be Lord of our lives. Pray that if there's anyone here who is struggling with forgiving themselves, with living in freedom, that we would stand together and pray freedom in this place would um, take your words and hide them in our hearts so that we might know who we are in light of what Jesus has done. Thank you, Father, for all that Jesus has done, that he gave his life, that he died for our sins, and he rise, raised on the third day, conquering death, that we might know you, have a relationship with you.